find someone who does what you want to do and deal with them, offer to help them out, find a way to add value and learn from them in that particular niche. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate and we will see you in keystone colorado best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe fairless this is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into any of that fluffy stuff what's today nicole stoller how you doing nicole i am doing great thanks well, joe i'm glad to hear that and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about nicole she's the founder and host of the richer geek podcast a podcast for empowering high-income professionals to find creative ways of building wealth and financial freedom. She owns 90 units and has a 64-room hotel under contract based in Phoenix, Arizona. With that being said, Nicole, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. First of all, I believe in being a W-2 entrepreneur. So I still work full-time and then I'm partnered with my husband who does really all of our property management and operations and we primarily got started in multifamily properties. That's my husband's background. He was in property management in that space. We pivoted because we got an unsolicited offer. So we ended up selling one of our apartment complexes. And under 1031, we were not finding the cap rates and really the return we were looking for. So we pivoted to hotels a few years ago. And then we liked that model so much that we now have an additional hotel under contract. Wow. How many units was the apartment community you sold? The apartment community was 50 units. And what'd you sell it for? 2.5. No, 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 no. Sorry. Three. <laughs> What's 500,000 details, right? <laughs> yeah. It was an unsolicited offer that came three times. So yes. <laughs> Fair enough. And what profit did you make on that? We were a little over 1.2. Congratulations. Thank you. It's when the market started to get a little crazy and we're here in Phoenix. We keep everything local and it actually still has not slowed down in terms of apartment complexes in Phoenix. When did you purchase that property? We purchased it in 2015. And you sold it when? 2017. Okay. So was it about two years or did the months line up where it was less than that? It was less than that. About how long did you own it? Uh, gosh, about... 18 months? 18 months. Okay. Yeah. So 18 months and 1.2 million in profits. What would you say were some of the drivers for getting that increased valuation? Stabilizing the property, getting an on-site person that was able to manage a lot of day-to-day, 
that particular property, once it got stabilized, then never had a problem filling it because there was a wait list. There were people very interested. It's a good location too. I absolutely can't emphasize that enough, just where it is in the Phoenix metro area. And the property, it was a C property, so it was close to bus line and some of those things that are pretty key features. And then the other thing is, I just think that because the craziness in our particular market, the unsolicited offer came from someone that was under their own 1031 Mm -hmm. and they were coming from out of state and they were really just so anxious to find something. And it just was a very steady not a lot of turnover in residence, not a lot of drama, just a, a very good culture in the property itself. Did I hear you earlier? You said it was the third unsolicited offer? Yeah. Was it the third one from the same person? Yes. Well, how'd that go? Tell us. Well, we weren't actually wanting to sell. It was a good property. Like I mentioned, a wait list and a very consistent stream of residents. So basically those folks that were under 1031, they just kept coming back because I think they saw that it was a good resident culture type of property. Mm -hmm. What was the first and second offer? Oh gosh. My husband negotiated all of those pieces. So unfortunately I can't, but I know the first one was, yeah, that's not worth it for us to sell. (laughs) Fair enough. You mentioned 2.5. Was that one of the offers, if you recall? If not, that's fine. We'll move on. I'm just curious. Yeah, I believe it was. He would would have more of those details. Yeah. Fair enough. You mentioned you stabilized the property. What was the property like when you purchased it? What had been happening is that the owner was more absentee and not really involved. This is the other thing. We self-manage. My husband handles the self-management of the property Uh and we're not managing other people's property, just our own. And the owner at the time was very absentee, not heavily involved. People felt like their issues weren't getting addressed and people talk within the community, especially if you're talking about this particular region within Phoenix and close to the bus line and those types of things. So it's just a lot of turnover and dissatisfaction with management. Was it a local owner or yes. out of state? It was a local yeah. owner. Yeah, but they, they had like 30 other properties. and okay. <laughs> So yeah. All right. So then you got this under contract to sell. And then I imagine initially you look for other apartment communities because that's what you were used to. And then what happened? If that is the case, what happened? That is absolutely the case because that's what we were used to. You're right. That's what we knew and we understood. Now, the story actually starts about two years prior because we had actually been considering already investing in a hotel just separate, not under 1031, just as an additional investment. We had been introduced to someone who's been in the hotel industry for 20 plus years through our broker. And we were just kind of sharing information. We were very intrigued by the hotel numbers. And that's why we were considering investing at that point in time. And we didn't pull the trigger. Then when the 1031 came, now we're under deadline and we're selling this particular property and we're not finding any multifamily that meets our cap rate and our return on investment criteria. We reached out to the gentleman that we had met prior and asked if he had any thoughts on hotels that were available. And the markets are different. So as you network within your local 
area, you'll meet people in different niches and the folks in those niches really know that area and they know what's happening. In his case, he had his pulse on all the different major hotels within the Phoenix metro area and he knew of this off-market opportunity. So Mm -hmm. that's how we were able to find a good deal as well and it was really because of his expertise in helping us through that process. Oh, I love that. How did you meet him? initially? The broker that sold us a couple of the multifamily properties introduced us to him because the broker was helping him look for land Mm -hmm. and he was looking to build a new hotel. And the broker, as they got to chatting, was very intrigued also by the numbers and the types of things that this hotel guy was mentioning. And he said, at some point, there might be other deals with folks that are in other areas. So he introduced us really in the vein of kind of a referral that Mm -hmm. maybe we could be working together. And then the hotel investor slash expert knew the market, identified or knew of an opportunity that was off-market deal, and then pointed you in that direction, and you ended up closing on that deal, correct? Yes. And in that scenario, do you give that investor any cash for hooking you up with that deal or is it just you take them out to dinner or none of the above? It's just a handshake. Thanks a lot. I'll remember this. How do you approach that? I think you could do all of those things. In our case, there's a little bit of an additional involvement that we needed from him and he is still actually involved with us today. So the first thing is in getting a commercial loan for a hotel without having any experience. Now, yes, you could bring in a management company that has hotel management experience, and then maybe at that point you would be able to get the loan. But he was instrumental because we basically said he's going to be part of our management team and he's going to help us pick out a general manager and help us manage expenses. So he has portion of equity in the company that we formed that purchased that particular hotel. Oh, perfect. Okay. And then in that type of scenario, what is the percent range that you would give to someone for that role? I think it really depends on the situation. In our case, we were very new to getting engaged. So he has a much higher percentage on that particular hotel. But He's also engaged in this new hotel that we have under contract. And at that point, the percentage is much lower because we have the experience, but we still want his support and mentorship and oversight. So it's kind of graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And what would be the range though? You said high, like what is high in your mind and what is low in your mind? I think high could be between 30 and 50%, depending on what that person is doing and what they're bringing to the table. So basically... We become more of a money partner and he becomes more of a doer. And then in the next hotel, if we're more of a doer, but we still need that oversight, you could be talking more like 20, 10%. Okay. Fair enough. Thanks for that. You mentioned earlier you were intrigued by hotel numbers when you initially were introduced to hotel investing. Educate me on what that means, please. Sure. We were used to multifamily C-type of properties for the price range and for the cap rate at the time, which has changed and is significantly lower. Hotels for the same cap rate or better, and in today's market, better, 
you are not in a classification that I would consider C. In our case, we're in select, limited service types of hotels, and the travelers and the clientele are business folks that are looking for convenience because you're close to an employment center. So off the bat, the first thing that's interesting is you have a higher profitability for the number of rooms. You have a different clientele than you do in C multifamily properties. And then because you have a different clientele, the services and the incremental ways that you monetize a hotel are different and I think more varied, more opportunities than there are in multifamily. So those are some of the things that we learned and we were educated on and the returns looked significantly higher. What are some of those ways to monetize hotels? That's a great question. So one thing to think about is in a hotel, you're going to offer free Wi-Fi and someone's going to log in. Almost everybody uses the free Wi-Fi, right? They're going to log in. There's a splash page. Upgrade. We'll write off. Yeah, you can upgrade. And you can also, on that splash page, you can sell advertising space with local restaurants, local venues, folks that want to get their information out to a captive audience who's traveling in town. So there's monetization of the digital side of things. There's also packages and events that you can offer. So you can bundle those with a stay and maybe golf, some local event that's happening as well. Mm -hmm. You can also monetize your breakfast space. And I'm going to say that because we're in limited service. So limited service almost always has a free type of breakfast and there's a space for that. And then depending on the, how the hotel's set up, you can then rent that space out for events and for smaller business type of meetings. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of interesting different ways to monetize versus in multifamily, what we might be looking at is we're going to upgrade the units. We're going to add a stackable washer and dryer. We might add covered parking that people could pay more for storage unit. So just different ways to monetize that are more business to business focused. Mm-hmm. The splash page for the Wi-Fi where you sell to, say, local restaurants, that's really interesting. I feel like that could be done with an apartment community too, perhaps not a splash page via the Wi-Fi, but maybe it's working with local restaurants and getting them some sort of access to the residents through monthly communication that already goes out to them from the property management company. That is a good idea. We never did that because the resident type that we had, I don't know that that would have been as <laughs> applicable for them. Right, right. But, I, but I definitely think in your A properties, 100% or your B properties. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And when I hear hotels, this is the ignorant part of me because I haven't studied up on hotels. And I'm sure you come across this and you know where I'm headed probably already. But when I hear of hotel investing, I think, ugh. It's going by the wayside. We got Airbnb. We got these different vacation rental places online. I just don't see how hotel investing is the future. I think that is the past. Now, I don't necessarily believe that, but that's just my initial perception. So what are your thoughts about that type of thought process? I can totally see that because if you're the type of person that stays in a short-term rental and Airbnb and you had a great experience... And you're thinking, well, this is fabulous. It's more space. 
private home. And the thing in all of that that I'm describing is it's an experience. It's something typically when you're going on vacation, you want something different. I'm still working full-time in corporate America. I'm in technology sales. Okay. And I travel for work. When I travel for work, first of all, I'm booking through our booking system, which today is really all the primary hotel chains that are required that I would book through. But the other piece is I just want convenience. I just want to be as close to the employment center as possible. I'm not going to swim in the pool. I might use a fitness center. I'm not going to be exploring the area. So the difference and why we like limited services, we are focused on that business traveler. We are focused on people that want to come in. They know exactly what they can expect from the hotel. They have a brand preference. They aren't worrying whether did the pictures on the website really depict the way the home is. You definitely hear those kinds of stories. They want to know what they're going to get and get convenience and for a good quality price which is also in that limited service type of hotel. It's just a different market. And I think there's room for everybody because there's different travel preferences based on what you're trying to experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. And the limited services part, you've mentioned that multiple times. What's the opposite of limited services? Is it full service hotel? And if so, what are some examples that we might recognize or brands we might recognize that are on that end of the spectrum and then your end of the spectrum? Sure. So limited service basically means that you're going to have key amenities, like generally in Arizona, you'll have a pool. I'm not sure necessarily in all areas of the country, but you will definitely have a fitness center. You'll have a hot breakfast. You'll have free Wi-Fi, but you won't have an on-site restaurant. And that is a key market segment difference. And then you also have different segments like extended stay, which have in-room suite areas or little kitchenette areas. So in limited service, you're not going to have that either. So you're going to have a room with those amenities. The types of brands in that limited service would be Choice Hotel Quality Inn, Comfort in some comfort inns, some might actually have restaurants as well. It would be Holiday Inn Express, La Quinta. Those are some of the key limited service types of hotels. Now, when you get into a full blown Marriott yep. or a full Hilton, those are going to have generally restaurants and other pieces. And then you go up a spectrum. If you're talking about a JW Marriott, this is a resort hotel with multiple pools and a spa. So different levels based on kind of the band within the hotel industry. Which one's yours? Which brand? Yeah. Or We have a quality in, and then the other hotel that's under contract is a country inn and suites. Now, when you went to buy the quality inn, Is there an opportunity to rebrand it to another type of hotel? Not necessarily. That's a great question because the contracts for the branding are longer term contracts, but you may come into a hotel that's in either a cycle where it's repositioning Mm -hmm. or it needs to be repositioned. As an example, the brand itself may say, we no longer want hotels that don't have an elevator as an example. So as an owner, your choice is, okay, I put in an elevator or 
I rebrand to something else where I can just continue to have stairs only. That's one type of okay. example. So that does happen as well. So you'll have your long-term contracts and then you'll also have contracts that don't come up for renewal and you also have the opportunity to change. And then if you change, say you want to go from quality into Best Western or something, do you have to pay the Best Western brand licensing fees in order to do that? Or do they pay you because you're now bringing in revenue for them? How does that work? That is what's unique about hotels too. We definitely want to hit upon that, which is the franchise piece of it. And yes, there are franchise fees, but those are negotiable based on either the franchisor's desire to be in that specific area and the incentives that they're offering or your negotiating power based on that you have a great location, those types of things. So you do have those fees. And to speak about those a little bit is like, what do you get for those? First of all, when you're talking about hotels in this specific market where you're business convenience traveler, they're looking for a specific brand type that they can know and recognize. And there's a lot of value in that from a pure marketing standpoint. But there's marketing you can do on your own as a hotel as well. But Mm -hmm. you'll definitely be receiving loyalty program people, online booking, those types of things, national advertising, all of that, mobile apps, all of that that's developed as part of being a franchise owner. The other piece is a really close network of other franchisees that are sharing best practices continually and very specific to the brand that you own, but the challenges and how they're solving them and being able to leverage that knowledge and expertise continually in your own hotel. Got it. What's been the biggest challenge of the hotel business on the deal that you currently own? The biggest challenge, and I don't know that you would necessarily have this in every area of the country. In Arizona, we have a very seasonal market where the summertime is our slowest time. This is not when people are coming to Arizona when it's 115 out. (laughs) And our most busiest time starts really in October and goes on through to April. So the challenge with that summertime is you still have high costs. You still have your mortgage, of course, and your debt service, but you have high cooling costs that you have to maintain because you do have guests that are staying. So the hardest thing comparing to multifamily is it's not a consistent revenue, even if you just were to say on average, our occupancy, here's what we could expect. We have average occupancy as well. It's just that it's maybe 100% during the top season and lower during the low season. So you have to be very studious and diligent about putting away reserves. You have to be very cognizant of those months. You can't assume every month is the same. Mm -hmm. And what type of reserves do you put away? How do you think about that? We always think about it in terms of three months of reserves to be able to cover those fixed expenses and then a little bit of buffer on top of that. And then we also know what our break even is during those months. And we're not necessarily running crazy specials because we still need to make sure we're at break even. You got a 64 room hotel under contract. What can you tell us about that deal? 
negotiated purchase price is 5.2 on that. It is right in Phoenix metro area, really fantastic location, close to a number of employment centers as well as very accessible to major highways. Tons of opportunity because the current owner really has treated the business like a lifestyle business. So a lot of opportunity for negotiating corporate contracts, digital advertising, some of those things that I mentioned as well. And we're mostly excited about the location and the upside that we see almost immediately with some improvements that we would be implementing. And what are some improvements? Well, one of the first things is that that particular property, and to your point about rebranding, it's actually going through a rebranding, and the entire lobby and downstairs area and exterior has been remodeled, and it looks very fresh and clean and very inviting. The rooms themselves are dated and absolutely need to be upgraded, so that will be our first capital improvement project that we'll be doing as soon as we take over the hotel and updating all of those rooms to a more modern look and feel. About how much does it cost on a per room basis to do that updating? The total projected cost on that is $300,000 and we've got 64 rooms. So that would be about 4,600. I'll say 4,700. Okay, cool. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever is to find a mentor. And where do you do that? Find someone who does what you want to do and deal with them, offer to help them out, find a way to add value and learn from them in that particular niche. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever book you've recently read? I just read How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. What's a deal you've lost the most amount of money on? Way back in the beginning in 1999, we bought actually four properties, all kind of duplex, fourplex, that type of property. And we used credit card cash advances for our down payments. They were seller financing and they were all in disrepair. So we had to put all that on credit cards. We didn't know how to manage residents. We fell deeper into debt, gave back the properties and ended up moving in with my parents to to pay off our debt. That was 1999. Yes. A a long lasting lesson, I imagine. For someone who is in a situation where they're considering that type of structure, what are some specific things you tell them to do or not do? In the seller financing? Seller financing, credit cards, pick whichever direction you want to go. 
the first thing is the reason we got into trouble is we didn't understand how to analyze property and we didn't know how to manage residents. You can find deals, but if you don't understand, is it a good deal, right? Just because you don't put any quote unquote, you don't have to get a mortgage or you don't have to put any money down. It doesn't mean it's a good deal. And then the other piece of it is how do you manage ongoing? So I would really understand the numbers. If you're doing things like you're taking out a home equity loan and you're leveraging that to put down payment and buy rental property properties, just really understanding the numbers, especially on a very conservative level. What was the worst rental amount for that particular area or that particular type of home during the past 10 years? And if that lowest kind of under a stress test, what are the expenses that you could typically see? You just plan for the worst and then you'll be fine. But you have to plan for the worst because Murphy's Law, that's what will happen. (laughs) Best ever way you like to give back to the community. My husband and I are active Rotarians, and we particularly love Rotary because my husband likes to give back to veterans, and I love pets and particularly dogs and rescue animals. And the thing about Rotary is it's really a local organization that gives grants to different types of organizations. So you can be involved, raise funds, and then give back to different areas that you care about. Best ever deal you've done best ever deal, I would say that hotel. Just the incremental value that we've seen in the hotel and the fact that it's in a market where there's a lot of growth that's happening just now. So when we bought it, that wasn't happening. We had awareness that it could be, and those things are absolutely coming to fruition, like new factories, new employment. And meanwhile, it's been very positive cash flow and consistent year-over-year growth with operational improvements. When do you plan on selling it? We wanted to wait and see after some of this development continues because we think we could continue to get a very attractive return at that point in time. So I would say probably in about a two-year window. You made 1.2 on the apartment community. How much do you think you'll make on that? The 50-unit? Yeah. We already sold that. Oh, I mean, okay, so, but I'm talking about the hotel. You made 1.2 on the apartment community, right? And then you said your best ever deal is the hotel? Yes. Okay, so you sold the hotel as well, the one that you're just talking about? No, not yet. That's what I was wondering, how much you think you'll make on that when you sell? Gosh, upwards of $2 million. Yeah. And best way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? The best way is on my website, which is the richer, R-I-C-H-E-R, geek.com. Where'd you come up with that name? Well, because I'm in technology and my podcast is, and that's my podcast site, it is for people in technology. So it's kind of a play on words where we call ourselves geeks. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Nicole, thank you for being on the show and sharing your experiences as a apartment owner, as a hotel owner, as a real estate entrepreneur, as someone who has had some challenging deals as well as some incredibly successful deals and how you've pivoted from multifamily to hotels and how you transitioned with some help of people who have been in the industry for a long time and then attracted them to partner up with you. So really enjoyed our conversation, learned a lot. Hope you have a best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Joe. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, 
Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.